there's actually a, a DVD or a, sorry, a Microsoft CD case on on the under one corner to level out the the screen. Yeah. Wait, which, which application? <laughs> Is it XP or what do we got? Hold on, ninety five Microsoft Bob Microsoft Office Student Microsoft Office Student and Teacher Edition two thousand three. You are listening to Dots Lines and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 464 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by a full house today, Mr. Seth Miller, Fosma Mood, and special guest, Ed Pizzarello. You are the host of Miles to Go. How's it going, Ed? Good to be back with uh, three of my top 10 favorite podcasters. (laughs) (laughs) We made the top 10. He he says that now, but leading into this, he mentioned that we are basically recording this a week late for Festivus because he has some problems he'd like to share them with us. Airing of grievances for us. <laughs> All right, Ed. I'll get out my, my poll. Go ahead and give it to us. No, I thought it was great when Seth reached out to record. I'm like, well, this is awesome because I have like comments from past episodes. So, uh, um, And I'll admit, I still don't really understand what happened. Um, but was, uh, by accident, I clicked on the other feed because Seth finally um, convinced me to start listening to the uh the bonus content feed and got it installed in my on my phone, but then I'm like I clicked on the wrong one by mistake, and it was Foz and Steven for a, a lost episode, and then it was Seth and Steven for the same episode same episode number. <laughs> we f- um, fixed that. I fixed that. No, didn't get fixed. Well, that's the thing. It doesn't. It, it, Apple doesn't always do a repush. You have yeah. to delete. The user has to delete, and then so I I actually got bonus content. I'm pretty excited about that. Well, you sort of did. But episodes 460 and 461 were posted at the same time because I was in Japan when these guys recorded and it took me a little while to get them edited. That's definitely on me. And when I posted it all, I had both audio files and I clicked the wrong one at one point. Sorry. Oh, I've done it's it. We, Every podcast. We, o- we overloaded Seth. That's what get for my editing skills. <laughs> when you say skills. Well, I mean, that exactly as it sounded. I keep using that word. Um. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I, I had comment, I'd follow up on the Sanford discussion, which I think was Steven and Foz, yep. and then the Vegas discussion, which I think was all three of you. I don't know. Probably. Somebody probably. The other, the other new Vegas airport or potential new Vegas airport. <laughs> potential new Vegas airport. Yeah. Um, and as you guys know, I, we've owned restaurants in Vegas for some time. And so we're mildly plugged into the local stuff there. And this proposal for land in Gene has come up. I mean, it's been coming up for I mean, easily a decade. Um, mm-hmm. And um, what's what's interesting is we have a you guys you guys know Vegas uh, I, I know to some degree. Um, so if you think about where the airport's located, and if you head south down the highway, that would be the way that you would get to Gene. It's you know like thirty minutes outside of town. Um, before you get anywhere near that far, if you go about a mile or two past the airport, one of our restaurants is is there on on the main drag on Las Vegas Boulevard, and they actually just erected massive bright line signage there. And there's a, a massive empty lot there right by uh, 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 Southland and the Silver City Casino, Silverton City Casino, stuff like that. So there's active advertising about where they want to park the Brightline station in mm. um, in Vegas. And in, in true Vegas fashion, where the taxi cabs still have like massive amounts of control, um, the Brightline station is even further away from the existing airport and not connected to the monorail on the strip or anything else. So, you know, we'll absolutely require lots of taxi cab rides to get from point A to anything else in, um, in Vegas. So 
And so, and the, so where are they wanting to put it though? Like where would the station be? At Blue Diamond Road? That- essentially. Yeah. Essentially that's what they're, essentially it would be, there's a, there's an empty lot that runs right near where Blue Diamond is. Okay. Um, a massive, it's been empty for a long time. It's, it runs right along the highway. It's probably, I mean, it's probably a mile long stretch and it's, uh, probably at least a quarter of a mile wide. So it's a pretty massive piece of land right there that's just um, just been sitting there undeveloped for a very mm. long time. But Seth keeps getting map. The internet tells me that they've actually purchased the land, but I don't know if that's actually if that's true or not. I, I would guess, based on the fact that the, the banners just went up in the past three weeks, that they have they have officially closed on the land. It's been rumored for a long time that they were working on buying that land in between um, uh, Warm Springs and uh, Blue Diamond. So... Hmm. Um, and so it's it's perfectly flat, ready for development. But as as you can see, Seth on the map, um, even further away from the airport than the rental car facility, which is already a hike. Yeah, I mean this is this is far. I'm looking at it. Like, you know, where else are you going to get 110 acres though? Yeah. The, actually, the interesting thing to me about it will be, in a sense, uh, that Brightline has not just put in train stations in their most of their locations. They've put in like the Miami, the South Florida stuff. They've put in major commercial real estate developments, mm-hmm. residential. So like the one in Miami is not just a train station, right? It's got the whole like apartment yeah. building and everything else above it. So it would potentially if they did that in Las Vegas, there'd be a very interesting set of developments if that all added to it. Well, they definitely can't build up because no, that's like the final approach into Get close to the airport. <laughs> yeah, it's like. <laughs> Like right on it. <laughs> yeah, it's like at the tail end of the runway, basically. <laughs> well, and and to your point, Seth, about you know where else could they find land? Um, if you look, um, and this was only rumored. I didn't have anybody tell me that this was officially what they were working on. But if you look at the intersection, just further north, where Las Vegas Boulevard intersects with Sunset Road, right by the tail end of those runways, if you zoom in, you'll see train tracks because um, because there is yeah. a train that runs along the south side of the airport, and mm-hmm. there's some empty land. Um, there that they had talked about um, that they could that they could put it you know adjacent to the airport as a novel concept. That would be nice. There's I mean there's a there's a golf club there too. They could get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a couple pieces of land. There's there's a piece of land south of Sunset, and there's a piece of land west of uh, um, west of Las Vegas Boulevard that they could that they could fold into. Yeah, but, they could, you just use the old fries. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, the sign is still there, Foz. The sign is really. It is still the the fry sign still lives. It's uh, yeah, it's still. Like, I mean, that thing's probably big enough for the Brightline Depot. The fry is just on its own. That area south of the airport is interesting because it is. I mean, it's a lot of residential, but it's also just a lot of like like old warehouses that mm-hmm. may, are some are disused, others are full, and uh, it's yeah, it's weird. It's a weird place. <laughs> uh, it is very very uh, very very odd eclectic area there. No question. Yeah. Um. I'm just. And I'm, I'm looking uh, at this. Sorry, I'm looking at this space like just south of Warm Springs. Is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the entirely empty space between Vegas Boulevard and I-15. I wonder if that's like sort of has to stay empty for runoff or something. Because otherwise, I mean, I know you can't build tall there, like you said, because of the runways. But it seems vaguely far enough away. Someone would have built by now. I don't know. Anyway, it's had signs. Uh, it's had available for lease, you know, development signs yeah. for as long as we've owned the restaurants in Vegas of so seven years. So it, I mean, it's been uh, to your point. Maybe some of it is not uh, able to be developed. Um, yeah. Some portion of it seems to be 
eligible for some level of development. I don't remember what the science used to say, whether it was zone industrial, commercial. To to Stephen's point, a lot of the land here is like industrial, butts right up to residential, commercial, etc. It's a very mixed bag in this section of town. I thought at one point too they were they were talking about like taking the highway like Blue Diamond Road where 160 merges with I-15. They they had originally thought about building that through and doing some kind of like eminent domain stuff to connect it up to 215, you know, that goes underneath the airport there. That's what I originally thought, but I have to go find references to that. But and I don't think that ever played out. So anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be interested to see if Gene actually happens. Like I said, it's been rumored for a long time, and there are uh, you know aspirational projects like this that, that keep coming up in vegas you know time and time again and just you know never gets fruition um you know there's you know there's a pretty substantial base in north las vegas um and so there's like you know do you do you try to you know put another runway down your nellis and do a do a base do an airport there as well that's that's been something that's been discussed a number of times over the years as well yeah yeah i mean it seems like north las vegas is the least kind of airport uh close to the airport it always feels very far every time i have to go Anywhere in the Northeast Vegas, I'm kind of like, oh, this is this was a pain. So having something may, in the north it, would be nice. It, it may it may be a pain, but I'll tell you, it's a heck of a lot closer than Gene is. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That's true. Um, what what other feedbacks you had for have for us, Ed? What else? Uh, clarity on uh, on Sanford and Orlando. Um, okay. that, and I did not look into the numbers on Sanford, though I would be interested to see how close that airport is to capacity, but um, that new terminal at Orlando Terminal C, I I did do some digging into that. Um, pre- previous to to now, but before you guys talking about it, um, just because you're like Vegas and Orlando are two airports, I end up very free because of my addiction. Um, so that terminal C is interesting. Um, it's I wouldn't say it's almost at capacity, but it has sort of an odd mix of of flights. This was what used to happen before they had terminal C. Was you had these international planes where in some cases they're very tight turns. So like I think when I looked it up, uh, I think like the British Airways like Gatwick flights and stuff like that. Those are like two or three hours on the ground. But then there are other planes that sit for protracted periods of time, um, and um, and they don't have they don't really have remote stands to park um, them. They have just places where they where they pull them, but they don't. There are no, stand, no uh, stands to offload passengers at Orlando yet. Um, so that Terminal C is I wouldn't say almost at capacity, but they've moved a lot of stuff over there. And then there are some international flights where the planes just sit at the gates for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a plan. I don't know what the timeline is. There is a plan to add four more gates to Terminal C. Um, so, like, while I think maybe Allegiant could move its whole thing to MCO now if it wanted to, um, I think it would be very messy because the bits and pieces that they've pulled out of A and B to move over to C do- aren't really, like, cohesive a collection of gates or chunks of times or things like that. It's, like, all the, like, I won't call them the deplorables, but, like, the individual, like, you know, uh, international flights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One-off, you know, Gaul and... Aer Lingus and British and I think Norse even flies. Yeah. But most you know, of the international moved over there and then JetBlue, right? Correct. Right. And so th- they were all in sort of different places in A and B. So it's not like there's like six gates at one end of MCO that Allegiant could take over. They'd be they'd be all over the place for where there where there was capacity in A and B. Um, but with four more gates in C, you do start to get to a level where you could move an operation the size of Allegiant to MCO. I just don't know why it would. Also, I mean, Sanford looks like it has 16 gates, and I imagine they keep them relatively busy. So you, you, six isn't enough. No, no, I, 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 I agree. It's not enough. There is, there is spare capacity in, in A and B now, though, based on what they've moved off. Yeah. So like I said, I think in theory you could find enough room, 
but it would just be messy. And and I don't know who was which one of you guys made this point, but um, I mean they they kind of own uh, Sanford, like and and the passengers that fly Allegiant, and this is just a guess because they've never flown Allegiant. The, the passengers that fly Allegiant, I don't think they really, I don't think they care that it's a drive from from there to. Orlando, they're they're baking that into whatever trip that they're booking, and they appear to be fine with it because it's, those flights, you know, are mostly yeah. full. I'm trying to book it, and I'm happy that Sanford is north because that's where I need to go. Right. <laughs> I, don't think, yeah. I never noticed that the you know at terminal. I don't even know what terminal this is, but uh, whatever the northeast one is, there's like lakes and stuff out on the actual apron. Yes. Uh, yeah. Was, so the, we <laughs> call them swamps, but yes. Yeah, retention ponds. Yes, with with like there's like some remote stands there. I, I don't think they're like for boarding or anything, but it's a place to park planes. So I guess while you're parked, you can look at some nice scenery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, how did how did there's, there's a reason they have you know notams because aircraft because alligators are crossing the runways there. Okay, that's that's true. Yes. <laughs> how did international flights here? How did they work before? Was it? Apparently. Did you take a train to immigration? No, it was yeah. in the it was in the far concourse. Yeah. Immigration was out in the pier, but okay. then and back in the day, pre TSA, it was no big deal because you cleared immigration and you were just back in the terminal. Yeah. Uh, with TSA, they it got messy, and at one point, I think they tried to put TSA out there, hmm. and then eventually it became they just loaded people onto the trains and moved them back in. If I remember correctly, but like they block off the train for a bit, and you only want to like where there's two trains working, one of them is normal, and one of them becomes international arrivals. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's other airports that have done similar. And now things, I'm but yeah, it's not great. And now I'm I'm guessing at the new terminal it's all kind of right there in this one spot. Yeah. They've got direct access to CBP and you end up outside security. Crazy. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. Yeah, that right. terminal C is it's it's shaped like an L and the one pier, the vertical part of the L, if you will, is where all the international gates are and, and it's all just, you know, yeah. directly integrated into a CBP dump that takes them back through uh you know security yeah gotcha. and when they build on the extra gates which they were already under construction when i was there like a year ago feels like there, there's you know footings down and construct they're building going on um it'll basically be a t and the middle finger will be the international stuff gotcha okay yeah i'm i'm actually set to fly through orlando i've never been through orlando in february so i'll be just... you've never been to orlando like at all I felt wow. really a crazy when you said that you'd never been to Orlando. Um, I, and I get that some people aren't Disney fans, but there's so many massive conferences there. I just figured you know, I'm going for it. I'm going for a conference because <laughs> they, right. they, 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 they pick great places. I mean, they're going to do Dallas in 2025, which seems like a terrible idea for ice storms. But, you know, yeah, it's, <laughs> I guess Orlando's better than Dallas. So, yeah. I mean, for ice storms, maybe, but but not for humidity. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I'll, I'll be interested. I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know who I'm going to fly. Probably United or Alaska, and we'll see what terminal that's at. Yeah, you got to be in the old space for those. But yeah, fun, good times. Is there a way to transfer between C and A and B? Not inside yeah. security. It's very yeah. painful. Yeah, it's very painful. But yes, you can transfer. It's because they're not they're not close to each other at all. That I know. Is it just a bus? It's a train a bus. Train. Brightline doesn't stop at A and B. Right. No, between A B. And C, there's like a little monorail thing that takes you across, and then you end up, and then you go through. It's not a bus, right? Um, that's a good question. Now that I'm thinking about it, because I haven't done it when I did that. When I went to go explore C, I went in and out of C. Yeah, there's a monorail. Yeah, well, maybe maybe a auto, auto, automated people mover. It's like yeah. Houston. Let's say you get to hear Buddy Dyer. 
<laughs> Seth will, Stephen will land and they'll be like, who's Buddy Dyer? And then as soon as you hop on the APM, you'll know exactly who Buddy Dyer is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a it's a little it's a little like automated train Seth kind yeah. of like, okay. Denver. And it actually like runs parallel to the Brightline tracks for a bit at the end there. Yep. And like drops you off upstairs from them or whatever. Right. I remember seeing it now. You have to walk another like 10 minutes to get to the terminal. Yeah. The Brightline station is Newark, but close. Yeah. Yeah. You walk through to get to the Brightline station. You're right. I do remember seeing the, the, the APM there now to get through, to get there. Um, you walk through the parking garage, um, into the terminal and, and the security entrance is a, a decent hike from the gates as well. There's definitely some walking. At least the last time I was there, none of the rental car companies were active in terminal C yet. So you're trucking over to A or B to pick up your car. I mean, this is a very like spread out airport. Like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, this is this looks like a pain in the ass. Um, it actually wasn't too bad until C opened. Yeah, right. But everything was central. Wait, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Physical spacing and whatever wasn't too bad, but it was always a disaster. Oh, well, this is just not true. It's Orlando. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just wanted to be clear on like the qualifications we're putting out here. <laughs> All right. What else you got in? What else? I think that's it. I think that's yeah. it. Okay. Oh, I, was thought, I thought it was going to be a little rougher than that. I, was... I, I said it was feedback. I didn't say I was going to kick in the nuts or any of that. <laughs> well, you never know. Um, Seth, I, I think the whole reason, I mean, I was interested in this. I wanted to know kind of about Ed's experience as a global services member. Um, and so we invited him on. We should have invited you on sooner, Ed. We've talked about having guests on. We should invite you on sooner, more often, more frequently, whatever, when you have time. But I wanted to know how global service is treating you. And then just as a general question for the for everybody, like, where are you status wise? Do you care? And then what are you planning on for next year? So we'll let Ed, since you're the guest, you lead. Yeah. And I agree completely. You should have me on much more frequently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions. I would say I'll, I'll, I'll sort of summarize the high level. And I've I've had, you know, some one off you know conversations about this with. Seth and with Foz via text and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think I'm pretty underwhelmed by the global services experience. I it, it appears to be mostly bad timing. Um, it seems like this is a year where the number of global services has really spiked. Um, there are a lot of new agents that they've onboarded to the call centers that, that don't have a firm grasp of the rules, and there's no there's a lot of unwritten benefits for hmm. global services, and you sort of just have to learn your way through them because of the uneducated agents. Are, like, God, are you saying that they? Are you saying that these new agents, in fact, do not know who you are? <laughs> Which is unbelievable. Hard to believe that somebody would not know who I am. Uh, Wait, I'm I'm more surprised that you think that everyone at United should know their own policies. <laughs> uh, I I I would say like there was a point in the year. It's not the case today. By you know like we this not quite a camera sort of finish, but there was a point in the year where I was learning more about global services benefits from FAS than I was from the agents. So, and that was, and that was for a good four or five months there where I'd be like, okay, I've gotten three different answers. Let me, let me uh, phone a friend, uh, Regis Philbin style. And I would text Foz and say, here are the three answers I've gotten. Which one of these is true? And he would, you know, he would tell me and uh, invariably he would be correct. So, so, I mean, favorite feature. Um, yeah, I said to somebody like somebody, uh, a friend of mine, actually Richard, the, the guy who hosts my miles to go podcast. We, you know, he was, he was asking me what I thought about global services. And I said, they should rename it. Um, they should rename it PZ Inventory and One Jaguar Ride a Year, even though it's a little bit, <laughs> yeah. a little bit. I, I was going to say I like Ed's Global Services benefits quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. I have a new phallus of friends who are all like, 
hey, you've got PZ inventory. Can can I borrow your plus points? <laughs> it's, P, it's PN, by the way, not PZ. PN, oh, PN, sorry, PN. I keep getting those confused. Thank you. Yes, we're on, we're on a podcast of travel experts, and I'm the idiot that can't remember the letters in the bucket. So here's a, here's, here's a question, though. Before, sorry, Foss. So before, if you if there's P in inventory, and 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 Ed gives me his points, I get upgraded. But if I give him my one K points, does nope. it apply? It doesn't work for him, right? He doesn't right. get okay because the status follows the points that are used. Okay, all right, go ahead, Foss. Sorry, I was going to ask with the Jaguar ride. Did they just drive you home? <laughs> <laughs> they probably could have. It's probably closer from Dulles to my house than it is from one end of the B concourse in Denver to the other. And that's why I asked that question. I mean, at that point, why, why go through security? Just drive you home. Right, I, right. As a, an aside on that, I did a Delta media event many years ago now. They had a like a whole thing, but I got the Porsche on arrival, hmm. and they actually drove out a back gate and dropped us off at the Renaissance Hotel where we were staying. Nice. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was really good. That's like private <laughs> um, jet good. Yeah, that was, it was an amazing experience. But obviously, like, never happens except for truly a special event but that was pretty amazing and I, I i will say too looping back on something that you said about steven's question about pn versus pz and like if you know if you gave me your one one k points you know like uh, seth and foz are both well aware of this i've had other people who have asked to quote unquote borrow plus points and they'll give me their one k points yeah and invariably almost nobody understands or they should understand because they understand why they want mine mine clear more quickly mm-hmm. and on a much more reliable basis but then they don't understand why I, I might not love getting their like, yeah, like like I don't really want yours because they're not going to clear. It's like, hey, let me give you something that you can't use, and if you could give me something I can use, that'd be a great trade. And like, that's really not a great trade for me. <laughs> it, in my defense, I didn't offer you any plus points in return, so I didn't right. Go, go that far. And you would never do trades or anything, right? Well, no, I no, like I no. I, that'd be a I, violation I, of the terms of service. You yeah. could have your account closed for that. <laughs> Gifts them to friends, yes. And I, and I and and there are a very small group of people who I would gift plus points to because I don't use them all anyway. And to your point, like, I don't really want to use their 1K points because the whole reason they've come to me, like, the whole reason you came to me to ask for plus points was because you knew yours weren't going to clear. Yep. So, um, I mean, I, I think I pointed it out on a show a long time ago, but I was on a flight from Houston to London, and I thought it was fascinating because there were people, I'm as a 1K, there were people ahead of me on the list, and they, they weren't global services because they had clearly been listed only for business for PN, and I had been listed for both PN and for um, the premium o- economy. Oh, O N. Yeah. O N. Yeah. And and yeah. Uh, they they weren't listed at all for that, or they were below me. And I think because there's no priority space for premium economy, there's for global services, they were listed below me. And I thought, oh, well, this sucks. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is a. It is a. You know, I'll get premium economy, and they'll get business. That's that's great. So anyway, um, I mean, are you going to requalify for next year? Um, yeah, so the short version of the story, because if I told the whole story, we'd have a six-hour podcast. Um, I started in November trying to renew Pass Plus for 2024 for one more year because uh, I saw a note, um, I forget who published it, I think it was ex-John NYC who published that uh, the qualifications were going up starting January 1st, um, mm-hmm. and instead of $50,000 for a global services nomination, you need to commit 75000 and I'm just not going to spend that amount. I wasn't going to spend fifty, but because I had a tail of time to use the funds, it was like, all right, well... I'll get global services for a year and then I'll, I'll drop and I'll use the funds up. Um, so I started trying to get a hold of somebody in the past plus program in November. Um, as of now, I still have not had anybody confirm to me the difference between the 50 and the 75 K. Um, mm-hmm. I've asked the question and it goes unanswered in emails. Um, I did finally like 
as a last ditch effort, I went ahead and renewed, even though none of my questions were answered. I finally figured out how to get in, reset my password, the whole thing, the site was down. And then after I, after I did all that, somebody finally replied back to me and said, Hey, we're sorry. We haven't been getting back to you, but, um, yeah, we are cutting your contract two months short for next year because you chose to renew early. And it's like, well, I didn't actually choose to renew early. I sent emails, you know, multiple times. Fre- frequently over the course of five weeks asking you questions. And when I was finally desperate and didn't know what else to do and wanted to like try to preserve some semblance of global services for next year, I closed my eyes and handed you $50,000 and now you're going to you're you're going to start my renewal term two months sooner. So we're still in discussions on that point. I feel I feel it's highly likely I will lose on this point, and they're just going to like screw me out of two months, mm. um, which is unfortunate. Um, but I don't think it surprises anybody who's on this podcast right now. No, unfortunately. I mean, it's frustrating. I think it's a bad way to do business. But um, okay. the unfortunate part is, you know, at post merger, United became a very it's consumer friendly airline, uh, thanks to the co folks. And what I've seen over the last few years, it's gone back to the pre merger United behaviors. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Because I think at the end of the day, if they tell me up front what all the rules are, I can make a decision. And that's, I think, as a customer, I think that's all I'm really looking for. To you know, like I, there are plenty of customer unfriendly policies. We all see them. They just are what they are. And as long as you know what they are, just make an informed decision. Um, making uninformed decisions with you know a large five figure sum of cash is um, you know not my favorite thing to do, but did did you you considered oh, for a while Delta right? Weren't you? I did. Yeah. And and you, what was your takeaway in comparison? Like so, when I started flying Delta during the pandemic, the level of service on Delta was much higher than it was on United. Uh, catering was better quality, um, all that stuff. Um, and then, I mean, it just there's no there hasn't been a big change in Delta, but there's been a there's been a small change in customer service. It's not quite as good as it was during the pandemic. The, the catering quality has de- decreased to some degree. Uh, you know, a few more things broken on the planes than there were before, a little bit less attention to service. The schedules aren't quite as good. Um, and then their on-time performance has definitely receded as well. And I think, mm-hmm. like, that's probably the most unreported of all those different things is that, and you guys know this, like, if you look at the numbers, they don't have as commanding a lead in on-time performance as they used to. So um, I think they probably do run a better operation than United. But not enough that I want to connect in Atlanta to go to Vegas if United is a well-timed nonstop. Yeah, 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 makes sense. So it's interesting to hear. I mean, are you going to try American next? <laughs> I have. I do have Executive Platinum on American. I also have three and a half million lifetime miles on them. So oh, okay, um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the problem with the American is they they've essentially abandoned Dulles as an airport. They don't actually believe it exists. So um, it just makes it kind of tough for me because I live out past Dulles. I don't really want to drive past my closest airport to go to yeah. another one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I um I I'm curious. I would ask you guys a question about something because I and I, I I assume that you guys um know enough about this to have an opinion on it in terms of how. So like I, when I first when I first got global services a year ago, uh, apparently they had, I, mean, I think United just started this process where they would automatically start splitting PNRs to upgrade folks. So if you had multiple passengers on a reservation, they were splitting it for global services. I didn't think they were splitting it for one case at that time. If you were trying to clear plus points. It now appears that they are splitting PNRs for one case automatically to apply plus to, to upgrade people. If there's one seat available in PN to upgrade them. I did not know that. Foz, did you know that? I did not. That's, it was yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was something they were testing with global services at the beginning of the year and it wasn't happening reliably. And it actually ended up really messing me up a couple of times. I, I, I discussed one with Foz where I was on a ticket that was half United, half Air Canada. 
and there were two seats available for upgrade. And instead of just upgrading both my my daughter and I, they split us, and that unchecked me in from my air can my second Air Canada flight, gave me a completely new PNR, and I I couldn't I couldn't get checked in for the flight when we got to Boston and we're just sort of stuck. Um, but it's like this this automation is causing some really weird issues. That one was bad for me, and I just had a friend who's a one K. Her and her uh, husband and two kids um, were all had all plus points applied to their booking. And at check-in, um, the system upgraded her first as the one K, then her husband, then one of her kids, leaving her nine-year-old um, back in coach. And the system I hope, kept. Uh, I hope you enjoyed his flight. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like you know, like I understand the tool, and I understand that they're trying to help folks get upgraded. It just. I guess I shouldn't say surprises me. It disappoints me that nobody at corporate thought it would be a good idea to make sure that the unaccompanied minor doesn't get left in coach when they were prioritizing how to split the records. Yeah. 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 Like leave some of the record together or make sure that they get upgraded first. Well, generally, if you try to book a ticket for a UM, you have to have an adult on it. Yeah. So, well, and, and yeah. From a what booking it, perspective, it won't let you uh, split. So I don't know why they let the automated system split records with the uh, with underage kids. Well, and then what ends up happening is the underage kid, now you can't check that reservation in from online um, once once the, the system automatically splits. So you have to hope you get checked in before the system splits. And then the other problem, which five, I know you know, um, Seth and Steven, you may know this as well, but, but when you apply plus points to a booking um, and the person who's, who's receiving the plus points from you, if you're not on that reservation with them as the status holder, they're at the bottom of whatever level you are so like any other 1k who applies plus points on that booking uh on that flight would be ahead of that person because they don't have status so they just consider the lowest status level and so in in the case of this my friend not only so like when they're not only their son gets split off but any 1ks and global services now on that flight are now ranked higher than her son whereas if they upgrade her last she actually carries her 1k priority so not only do they split the minor off but now the minor was buried on where where the minor was next in line as soon as they split the minor off from mom the minor now drops three spots on the list yeah that's bad it's bad yeah it's just stupid programming yeah. to, to your point about on-time performance for what it's worth delta's on-time performance year to date is 81 percent, which is the lowest of the last six years yeah yeah and it was like i you you'll, you may have the number in front of you. i thought it was like mid to high 80s at their best it was 89 percent in 2021 it was 86% in 2020. It was 83 the two years prior to that under what we'll call real operations. Yeah. Um, and then dropped down to 82 and now 81 and a quarter. Yeah, that's still, I think that still leads the pack or if it isn't close. Major. Yes, it is still best of the majors. Um, yeah, but not by much. Still be higher for its bullshit reasons. But actually, no, wow. Hawaiian's doing terrible these days. Well, 73% year to date. That's like... Concerning they're typically high eighties, low nineties. That's abysmal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think United's like seventy eight or seventy nine. Uh, Hawaiian was uh, sorry. United was seventy six for the network. I think for this year. Yeah, so like eighty one to seventy six is still substantial, but it's a lot closer than eighty six or eighty nine. Um, so yeah. I think Delta is slowly coming back to the pack. Hmm. Um, what's the Foz? What are you? What statuses are you? Uh... Do you have? Did you get? Did you reacquire? And uh, do you care? What are you doing to do next year? Um, well, I, ca- I re- did qualify for my Hyatt Globalist. I left oh, my seven. Ed, did you do that? Did you get your? <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, uh, sorry. Shoot. See, thank you, Stephen. When we get when when you're done with with Foz, I do have a clarification for you guys on how Guest of Honor works. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Foz. Sorry. Uh, no, no, all good. 
Uh, I did let my 75K lapse down to gold in Alaska. Okay. And then I have my lifetime titanium at Marriott and my lifetime 1K at United. And are, how close are you now to uh, lifetime global services? Mm, a little over 300,000. I think you could do that this year. I I like your responses. Oh my God. (laughs) I could, but do I want to is the real question. (laughs) Oh man. Um, And and so are you going to go for 75 K next year? Are you just going to leave it at MVP gold? No, I'll go for 75 K or maybe even hundred K next year. uh, This year is just too much of a drag with a bunch of other stuff going on in life. Yeah. 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 I get it. Um, and then, so Ed, what's your what's your follow up on guests of honor? Yeah, so a couple things. Uh, first off, you know, Seth was one hundred percent right. The, the Hyatt, you know, did acknowledge. I was I was there for a meeting with them about this, and I brought up the the fraud stuff because I I witnessed some of it, and it pisses me off because it's like you know they actually roll out a really helpful benefit for folks who want to use it correctly, and you know a small percentage of people abuse it, and we all get yep. shafted because of it. Um, yep. I actually think they've done. Like Amy Weinberg, who runs the program, she was very conscious about the fact that she said they are still very actively um, using the ban hammer on accounts that um, that exhibit certain patterns. Um, with the with what they're doing next year, I actually tend to think Guest of Honor is going to be better overall. Um, and so, like some people were complaining that you don't get quite enough Guest of Honor bookings in the new year, but everybody starts with five at the beginning of the year, and you pick up an extra one at ten night intervals starting at. Um, 60 nights, if I remember correctly. Um, actually, they could pick up one at 50. Sorry, 50. So um, you get like you get eight total at 60 nights between the five you get at the start of the year plus those three. Um, and for 2024 only, anybody who's an existing globalist can use the old guest of honor benefit as much as they want, meaning the points come from their account. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what I didn't explicitly say this to me, but what implicitly what they're saying is, look, we're going to give you five to start the year. We're going to keep the existing benefit in place. We're going to give you a bunch as you earn your way back to globalist. And then we're just going to see how this all shakes out. And if people need a few more, like it's not hard to add it to the existing program where I think guest of honor gets much more valuable was in the old system. If I wanted to make you a guest of honor, Stephen, the points had to come from my account mm-hmm. and, and starting in 2024, you can use your Hyatt points and I can turn you into it. I can turn you into globalist for that stay by transferring you one of the certificates. So okay, for me, that's more helpful because there are plenty of times where I've wanted to help a friend or a family member and I just didn't have enough Hyatt points to do it. Um, and you didn't want to go did. through the rigmarole of doing the points transfer. I hate that. Yeah. Like it's, it is an actual paper form and yeah. you can do one every 30 days and it's set that way to control fraud. Totally get yeah. it. And I understand it. But it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, I actually think the the flexibility that you can now use your points or your cash and I can turn you into a globalist for the stay is more valuable to me than um, than just using my points to make a guest of honor booking for you, um, you know, going forward. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, by the time 2025 rolls around, I think they'll have a better idea of how much fraud there is and how to control it and whether eight guest of honor bookings is enough for... Uh, you know, a, a world of high globalist, you know, who only gets to 60 nights. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Seth, do you I they have my United Lifetime Million Miler Gold still? Uh, I did requalify for JetBlue Mosaic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting one because of the way they switched their earnings mid year to be a, a blend of credit card and actual travel as opposed to either or. Mm-hmm. I actually had the most tiles whatever the highest 
PQMs, if you will, in the JetBlue program or PQDs that I've ever had, uh, and still an only Mosaic one. So, um, are you? Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's flying it. in a flying out of Boston. Are you you still yeah. relying on JetBlue quite a bit? Uh, I, I should. I forgot to say, I got uh, BA Silver this year also. Um, oh. And in even though I was one flight, I ended up having to cancel one round trip on BA that was supposed to give me. The, the status at a time that I can actually use it. I basically hit in September and then haven't flown anybody that would let me use it since. So that's been useful for the last four and a half months of not of having the status and not using it. Um, we'll see how that goes next year. If I can, you know, get some seat assignments or whatever. I BA typically has cheap premium economy fares between Boston and Europe. And so if that comes to fruition, I'll be very happy. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be nice. So, um, but back to answer your question. Yeah. Uh, Rely on is a relative term. They still have a large number of nonstops and nonstop drives a lot of my travel mm-hmm. planning. So uh, between Delta and JetBlue, I can get most of the places I need to domestically. Um, I, and so I'll pick based on schedule and price for that. I mean, when I went down two weeks ago to New York for a day, um, <clears throat> I had a two o'clock meet or two thirty court appointment in Dover, New Hampshire, was trying to get to the Nets game that started at 7.30, and I was only a half hour late. Um, but that was one where I had both a Delta and a JetBlue booking, and I just canceled the one that wasn't going to work. Mm. You know, and one to JFK and one to LaGuardia. I was hedging my bets in every way, and after I got on board, we had a mechanical, so I hedged my bets and still lost. But, uh, <laughs> like I said, only 30 minutes late is not bad. It's okay. I mean, if you were on United, they would have canceled one of the reservations. So. Yeah, and I will say, I do, I've flown United a couple nonstops from here. Uh, they still have the LA flights that are mediocrely timed and usually cheaper so i end up on those um but i've actually considered changing i'm going out i think to la in, in late february and i have the non-stop booked now and i'm considering changing to boston chicago overnight chicago phoenix la so i can get on the a321 neo and it's not that much more expensive but it's pretty stupid so we'll see you, you really don't want to get there do you <laughs> i really don't want to go to this event uh but uh, and next year, I imagine, will be more of the same for me. I'll probably still hit based on a blend of credit card spend and uh, travel on JetBlue. I will probably not renew VA Silver. <laughs> I, I had a I had a couple good premium economy tickets and like one business class that priced very nicely, and it got me there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you never know what next year holds. We'll see, yeah. right? Indeed. About you, how about you, Stephen? Uh, I didn't requalify for anything, so I. Dropped down to Star Gold, Lifetime United, Star Gold, and then didn't requalify for Alaska. I think I have Lifetime, it's not Titanium, I have the Platinum with Marriott, and that's about it. So not planning really anything. I think my wife cares the most. She flew United and she was like, wait, I don't get to board the plane first or, you know, in group four at the, be- at the beginning of the, you know, early boarding. And she's like, I was like, no. She's like, well, you should, you should get on that. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think she cares more than me, so we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. We've been talking for a long time. I want to run through a couple of these news stories because I think they're interesting. Um, yeah, go for it. Toss in comments if you got anything. Uh, Turkish Airlines got a ton of slots in Australia, uh, which is amusing because Qatar Airways was denied similar request. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of questions there about political motivation. Uh, part of them includes Fifth Freedom routes, uh, so they can fly via southeast asia to make it until they get more planes that can do the non-stops all the way uh but apparently haven't applied for the fifth freedoms via singapore so that's a bit of a oopsie um, wow yeah there was a can the 78 not are you said can the 789 or 359 not make a non-stop from istanbul to 
I think it can. I think there was question. Maybe it's westbound is harder. Maybe it's they wanted to do the fifth freedom. I, I I didn't quite understand why they needed them, but there was talk about that they got them. Istanbul Istanbul city is ninety three hundred miles. Seems like a long way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's Doha to Auckland? Doha to Sydney or Doha to Auckland? Let's see, is is nine thousand, just over nine thousand. So it's, so a flip, it's closer. Doha Auckland is currently the longest route in the world, I think. So uh, yeah. maybe. Maybe it's they can't yet. I don't know. Um, there was a Air France KLM or Flying Blue uh, business class mistake fare. I think out of somewhere in Central Europe to the United States or to North America. Other way, yeah, other way, yeah. It was it was it was from Toronto, Montreal, or Ottawa to a couple of random train stations in France and uh, Florence. Okay, that was close. Whatever, Europe. Um, eventually, they recognized the flaw. They canceled the tickets uh, in most cases, but. Most interesting to me about this is Flying Blue is going to refund points back to credit card programs. If you transferred points in within a week of the mistake fare, they will give you the option. And it was a bit onerous. You had to call in and whatever. Or yeah, I think you could like what, open a support ticket. But they're going to let you transfer the points back to a credit card. And that is like in the points and miles world, quite literally putting the toothpaste back in the tube, I feel like. Yeah, it's kind of unheard of. It, it really is. I, like we talked about this on, on, on my pod, um, Ben Lipsy, the guy that runs the Air France program, like he's a nerd like us and, and he gets it. And in this case, um, they did honor these reservations for people who had flying blue status, which I yeah. think is like, I think makes a ton of sense. Like if you're thinking about it from the standpoint of, Hey, we want to do something to, you know, to, to make, to, we, we want to make something good out of this mistake honoring it for your elites and saying, hey, for the people that are loyal to us, we're going to do something nice for them, but we're not going to do it for some random customer who transfers points from a credit card. Like, love it. I think that's a great solution from a PR standpoint. And Seth, to your point, like, I've ne- I don't recall in any instance anywhere where a-, a program offered to transfer points back to a credit card. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. It's, it's crazy, for sure. Um, Norwegian Widrow merger finally got approved. They... The, the competition authorities there said no, and they're like, but look, we have paperwork. And I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. Um, like, no hearings or anything. They just, like, submitted some additional information and eventually convinced the authorities. So that's that'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, in Scandinavia. South African Airways, there's a story in Aviation Week about trying to triple their fleet in the next couple of years and possibly switching to Boeing for 787s to go long haul because they can get them. <laughs> um, and the discussion about, like, how do you manage mixed fleet piloting and all the maintenance and all that other stuff and talking about if they split it long haul, you know, long haul, short haul, twin aisle, single aisle, it might be reasonable. So again, it's South African Airways though, and they still haven't actually really sold off to private investors. So who the hell knows what's going to happen there? Uh, Boeing delivered a 787 to China. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Uh, Big deal there. And apparently some of the politics around clearing uh, the maxes have been cleared as well. Still waiting, I think, for those deliveries to happen. But that's the 787. Huh? Who got it? Uh, huh? yep, definitely happened. China, no, no, I think it was China Eastern. I know, I'm, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was China Eastern, but I'm not certain. Look, if you say if you say the word China and then a direction, Eastern, Western, North, like you got a 50 50 <laughs> shot of it, right? <laughs> I was gonna just do it, Steven style, and mumble the word, like he mumbles Faz's last name in our intro and call it a day. I don't mumble it, I know his name. <laughs> Ed makes fun of that all the time. That was a softball for him, uh, it really was. But I, th- I appreciate you smashing my softball. 
Uh-huh. Air Baltic is going to take its 50th A220 later this year, and they did a competition for the liveries. And unlike most of these competitions, I actually really think these came out great. Um, I'll put the link in the notes. It's not in there right now, but um, they're gorgeous, and you should look at them. And it, also interesting, you have to have an Air Baltic whatever points account to vote. So mm-hmm. great way for them to get some people to sign up without much in the way of activation costs. Um, and maybe then they'll sell you some NFTs to buy status. And, uh, <laughs> no, really, they do. It's great. Uh, Europe, yeah. the EU <laughs> has put together a new policy on transportation that's going to require the largest airports to have direct link to long-haul rail service. And that means roughly 20 or so airports over the next 30 years have to build train stations attached. So we'll see how well that goes. Uh, Southwest Airlines did not have a meltdown over Christmas, although it did suffer the worst fate of delays and everything of any of the airlines basically due to weather at Midway. So they're getting better, but still not quite there yet. And finally, uh, the UAE and India have opened negotiations on their bilateral uh, for capacity between the two countries. Theirs is limited not by flight frequencies, but by seat count, which is somewhat unique in the industry. And they're both both Indian and UAE airlines are running at full capacity right now. Um, in the initial opening foray, apparently India has asked for four times the number of seats that the UAE would get. How <laughs> does that work? And, well, you take one number and you multiply it by four. <laughs> uh, Thank you. And I, I obviously like pretty ballsy ask there. I'm not entirely sure. I, I probably wouldn't go for four, but like I could almost see the UAE saying, how about we make it two and call it a day? As long as, because the UAE is going to, like India wants those seats for locals and in theory for connecting traffic, but has terrible connecting service via India right now. And I know Air India is pretending that'll change, but like, come on. Mm-hmm. And most of the volume of traffic coming into the UAE, I feel like that would be that connecting traffic via India, Emirates or Etihad or whatever. They can just overfly it and call it a day. Uh, I remember, though, a lot of the passengers from India into the UAE are workers. And yeah. I would venture to guess that the government would rather give the money to Emirates than Air India to fly those people in. The, the Indian government would prefer that. No, no, the UAE government. So I don't no. know if they would even agree to a two to one. Yeah, no, that is that is fair. Um, I I do wonder though, like, and I, we'd have to see some statistics. How much of it is split between what migrant workers and onward connections to Europe and North America? And if Emirates gets higher value for the latter category, they might prefer to seed some of the local traffic to get the more prestigious other, the more profitable other. And I, yeah, I'd have to see the numbers, but that's a counterpoint there. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Well, I also wonder too. I mean, don't I mean don't the Indian Airlines have like a massive amount of of airplanes on order, and and could they start running the routes to Europe on their own? Yes and no um, is the short version of the answers. The massive orders that exist today, Air India in theory could do some of those nonstops to Europe and overfly the UAE. Um, they have some wide bodies on order. It'll be a question also of access to airports and bilaterals into Europe. Mm. that I'm not sure about. Um, the other airlines are like an Indigo or whatever, basically single aisle orders and probably aren't going to make it that far. Yeah, not enough range. So that's all I got. That's all you got. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Norse, High Sky, SAS, and our best and worst trips of the year in the bonus episode. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, stick around for that. Wait, are we and, finally going to talk about Japan? Wait, maybe. We haven't. We haven't maybe. <laughs> only if it was my best trip, right? Yeah, only, only then. We got we got other stuff to talk about. Okay, yeah, yeah, but you've been teasing, yeah, you've been teasing us for you've been teasing the listeners for multiple weeks about South Japan trip, and you just keep throwing us aside. Well, they're just gonna they're gonna get teased again. So, 
maybe we'll talk about Japan. We'll see how much time we have. Um, but yeah, thanks, Ed, for joining us. And uh, thanks to our listeners for listening to the show and supporting us. And we'll talk to you next time. Happy travels. Take care.